Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Is anyone here afraid of, of heights? Anyone afraid of heights? Like, like the, the thought of going hang gliding makes you panic a little bit. Like a, I'm not necessarily afraid of heights, but just the idea of hang gliding does not appeal to me whatsoever, especially after I came across a video on YouTube of a hang gliding accident. Now, on this video, there was a guy who's a tourist in Switzerland. While in Switzerland, he was going to fulfill a bucket list adventure by going hang gliding with the Swiss mountains as the backdrop, the view. It sounded amazing, but for him, it was anything but amazing. He met his hang gliding instructor. They walked through all the safety procedures, how the flight was going to go. They stood on the launch pad, ran down the hill to launch into what should have been an exhilarating adventure in the air. Only one problem. The instructor failed to attach one little clip on the guy's harness to the hang glider itself. One piece of equipment And this dude was left hanging on for dear life. If you are afraid of heights, you may not want to watch the following video. It's a four-minute harrowing video that we cut down into just under 90 seconds. The guy does live. He's the one that posts the video online. Has a pretty good sense of humor about it, as you will see. Uh, But go ahead and check out this hang gliding video. gliding. (laughs) Some of you guys probably still would, which is unreal. Um, Isn't that insane? Like absolutely insane. The the guy survived with a a fracture of his wrist and a torn right bicep from holding on so tightly. Pretty sure I almost tore my bicep from tensing up the first time I watched that thing. It is unbelievable. And here's why I show you that clip. It reminds me of exactly what we're talking about in this sermon series that we are in. Just like that one missed piece of equipment could have caused untold damage and destruction, we can't even neglect one piece of God's armor in our spiritual life 
or destruction may be the result as well. Because if you neglect even one piece, you might still be with Jesus, but you'll be hanging on for dear life. The pilot, Jesus, won't be able to easily take you where he wants you to go. And when you eventually land, it may not be where you should have been, and it's going to be really, really rough. We need all of the armor of God if we're going to win in the battles of life. So many parallels in that short clip to our spiritual life. So today as we continue the sermon series that we're in called Weekend Warriors, where we're being challenged to not just uh, be warriors on the weekend, but warriors every day. We're just going to keep on walking through some more essential pieces of the armor of God. We can't neglect any of them in our life. If you don't know who I am, by the way, uh, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, whether you're here in person or perhaps joining us on video or online, so thankful that you're all with us today. Uh, Today happens to be a special day in the history of our church. Uh, It is the 14-year anniversary of Element church is pretty cool yeah it's awesome Uh, 14 years ago on the first Sunday of October 2007 we launched this thing uh, that we now know of as Element Church a couple of you in the room were there on that first Sunday which was awesome and uh, uh, we are continuing the vision God gave us we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest connect in the meaningful relationships and make a lasting impact and I'm just blown away at uh, how God's accomplished those things throughout the years through your uh, ministry and through your generation generosity. Two weeks ago, we started the series in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, talking about how we can win the battles of life. Then last week, uh, Pastor Jared, our worship pastor, did an amazing job uh, walking through the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, and the shoes of peace. And he did just, as I said, an amazing job challenging us with God's word. He stepped up uh, to do that. I'm so appreciative of that. Can we show Jared some honor today? I think that'd be great. Did an awesome job. Thank you, Jared, for being willing to do that. This week, we're just going to continue uh, through four more pieces of the armor, which really, they don't all tie uh, together. Uh, They could have each been their own sermon. I've probably bitten off more than I can chew uh, today. And because of that, because they don't all like flow together into one theme, I don't have a big idea or a big question like I normally do that ties everything together. Just a main scripture that will be our guide today. So our main scripture, Ephesians 6, 16 through 18. Ephesians 6, 16 through 18. Ephesians in the New Testament portion of the Bible, written by a man named Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Ephesus, uh, where Paul started the church that those Christians attended in Ephesus. Paul was in prison for his faith in Jesus upon writing this letter. He'd eventually die in prison for his faith in Jesus. Everything I read, all the scriptures will be on the screens. If you don't own your own Bible, uh, we'll give you one for free if you're here at guest services or download the free Bible app called YouVersion. You can get it on any device. It's an amazing Bible app. Maybe you're here and you don't even care about the Bible. (laughs) I'm not naive enough to believe that all of us are Christians or that all of us care about the Bible. As long as you know that you don't have to believe first before you belong here. We love you and we love it that you're here, whether you agree with us or believe in what we do or not. Before we dive into the scripture, let's pause and pray and ask for God's help. Lord, thanks so much 
for another opportunity to worship you, uh, to be with your people in your house reading your word. And Lord, we're, we're tackling a, a, big, a big subject today with four different pieces of armor. Uh, but I know, Lord, it's, it's your Holy Spirit that ties it together. So whether there's a big idea or a big question, those are just tools we use to communicate. Really, it's your spirit that we need to unite us together in the armor. So today as we read, today as I talk, Lord, as we receive, I pray that you'd unite us around your word and unite us around the tools, the armor of God that you give us, that we would engage the battles of life fully armored up for you. Lord, may your power, may your authority, and may your anointing be upon this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6, verse 16 says this. In addition to all of these, meaning all the other pieces of armor, the belt of truth, body armor of God's righteousness, shoes of peace, because we need all the armor of God. In addition to, to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers Everywhere, So that's all of our main scripture. Now, I'm not sure how this is going to go today, all right? Went pretty well in first service, but I think you guys are even better than first service. Uh, I told you already I don't have a big idea or big question like I normally do. I have four points instead of three, and they do not all start with the same letter. We are walking on the wild side today. We are going hang gliding spiritually, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. So are you ready? If you're ready, say ready. Okay, each point is really just going to be how it's stated in Scripture. So there's not a whole lot of creativity today to how I'm presenting this, uh, but I do believe that it's, it's a, a good word for us to hear today. So the first thing I want us to see is the first piece of armor we're looking at. Hold up the shield of faith. Hold up the shield of faith. Albert Barnes, one of my favorite theologians in his commentary, said this, The shield was an ingenious device by which blows and arrows might be blocked and the whole body defended. As long as the soldier had his shield, he felt secure. And as long as a Christian has faith, he is safe. It comes to his aid in every attack that is made on him, no matter from what angle. So hold up the shield of faith. Now, why is faith listed as our shield? Why not salvation or the word of God or prayer? Well, when you look at scripture as a whole, when, when, you, when you interpret scripture with scripture, which is the proper way to interpret scripture, by the way, looking at it as a whole, it's clear from other places that talk about faith on why it's so important for it to be our shield. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Hebrews 11, perhaps the most famous passage on faith in all of the Bible, Hebrews 11:1 1 says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So we hold up that faith as our shield. That when the attack is coming from the enemy, sometimes it seems like coming from every direction, it's our faith that reminds us and shows us the reality of what we hope for. That this life isn't all there is. Can I get an amen? 
that, that when the enemy attacks, it is real and often painful, but, the, but his attack doesn't last very long in light of eternity. That faith is the evidence of things we cannot see, therefore it's a great shield to hold up against the fiery arrows of the enemy, understanding that this life is not my home. The next one is my home. In fact, all of Hebrews 11 is a testimony of faith and how how it worked in the lives of other people that we call Bible heroes to deflect the arrows of the enemy. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 11. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation by faith, And then it goes on to list a whole list of people who lived their life holding up the shield of faith, earning a good reputation, and overcoming the fiery arrows of the enemy. People like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, Samuel, and more. Those are the people we think of when we think of Bible heroes overcoming, triumphing over the enemy in their life. But then it says, at the end of Hebrews 11, it says this, verses 35 through 39. But others, who we don't know their names, they're nameless heroes. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. And how did they do that? They placed their hope. Remember, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. So by faith, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Is that not an awesome description of a follower of Jesus? Living their life as too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. They received it in the next life, not in this one. So we we hold up the shield of faith because faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we can't see. And these heroes of the faith, they refused to turn from God in their trials. They refused to turn from God when the devil was hurling flaming arrows at them because they placed their hope in a better life after this one by using the shield of faith. So hold up the shield of faith. It's a present tense action, by the way. It's not counting on your faith from childhood. It's not counting on your faith from last year or yesterday. It's faith for today. Hold up the shield of faith. Number two, put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. I believe one of the primary um, uses of the helmet of salvation would be the same thing you might think of an actual helmet in battle. The helmet of salvation protects our minds. So it's not just saying, I'm saved, so I'm good. It's saying, because I'm saved, 
I'm going to put some effort into guarding my mind from the lies of the enemy and from doubts about who I am seated in Jesus. Again, Albert Barnes put it this way, the helmet defended the head, a vital part. And so the hope of salvation will defend the soul and mind and keep it from the blows of the enemy. Now, I believe there are two ways um, the helmet of salvation guards our mind. The first one we actually do for ourselves. There's some effort we have to put into place to use the helmet of salvation to guard our minds. The second one, though, I believe is a gift from God. It's just given to us in our salvation, and we'll look at those uh, in that order. The first one we do for ourselves, I think I see the greatest description of this in Philippians 4, verse 8 in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing here as well says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your what? Your thoughts on what is true. So going back to the belt of truth. And honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So one of the ways we put on the helmet of salvation is by guarding our minds from things that can easily pollute it. It's guarding our minds from the lies of the enemy. And the corruption that he brings to us in the world. We fix our thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. So I would just challenge you, do an inventory. Challenge us, me included. Do an inventory on what you're allowing into your mind through music, movies, books, entertainment, social media, whatever it is. Are there things that are helping you think about what's true and honorable and right and excellent and praiseworthy? I'll I'll tell you this. The things that you are most putting in your mind will be the things you most think about. And sadly, I think for many Christians, we are putting in way more pollution than we are purity. (laughs) And I just challenge you to consider doing an inventory on what you're putting into your mind. I'd also challenge us to do an inventory on any of the lies that you might be believing from the enemy about God, yourself, the Bible, his church, whatever it is. Discover what those lies are and replace them with truth, the truth of God's word. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies, and when he speaks, he only lies, for lying is his native language. So every time the devil speaks to us, he's lying. He's a liar. And and we tend to believe those lies. Lies about God, ourselves, the church, the Bible. So we've got to replace those lies with truth. So guard your mind against the lies of the enemy. That's something we do for ourselves. Because we're saved, we should be doing that. But in our salvation, we are given something. And we see it in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Isn't that awesome? That just by being saved, I'm given confidence in who I am in Christ. Our salvation gives us confidence. Confidence in our eternity with Jesus, confidence in who I am seated in Jesus, and confidence in the fact that my God loves me. I don't ever have to question 
when I'm wearing the helmet of salvation, God's love for me, never. Because in my salvation, he proved his love. That, I, that, that I'm willing to die on a cross and rise from the dead for your sins, that God's love is proven and we're confident of that while wearing the helmet of salvation. So the helmet of salvation reminds me that God loves me, but it also reminds me of this great truth that I'm on his team. Is that not amazing? Like if you believe you made varsity, there is no JV. In the kingdom of God, we're all on varsity. We're on Jesus' team. That's amazing to me. And when I wear the helmet, it reminds me of that. I'm on his team. Even in ancient you know, battle culture, the helmet, much like a helmet in a sporting event, it would typically have an emblem on it or a plume or a crest of some kind that revealed what army you were with. So when you're in battle, not only would you know who who I belong to, I belong to Jesus' team, but I can also look around and see the helmets of others and know that I'm not alone. That not only is Jesus with me, but there are other people in the battle with me who are wearing the helmet of salvation with the sign of Jesus on their life. It gives us confidence to see that other people are in the battle But then also in the same way, while salvation is a personal decision, it is a public discipline. It's a discipline that should be worn like a helmet, (laughs) easily distinguishing in our culture those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and those who are not. Our salvation should be worn like a helmet, not in an obnoxious way, but in an obvious way. People should not have to wonder whether you're a Christian or not. It should be shining out of your life. People should never be surprised that you're a Christian by the way you live. Well, they're a Christian? 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's challenging. Meaning, if I claim to be saved, I need to live like it. And when I don't, I should be quick to admit it, confess it to God, repent of it, ask for his forgiveness, and Ask for the, for, the, for the forgiveness of those who saw me living that way for not living up to the standard I claim I follow. I think if more Christians would actually apologize to those around them who aren't believers for the way that they may have lived in a certain moment, we'd gain a lot more credibility than just pretending like everything's okay. No, when I'm wrong, I should be quick to confess that to those who, who were around me in that in that moment. Listen, there is already enough reasons for people not to believe in Jesus. Let's not give them any more by wearing the helmet of salvation in vain. We should wear it in a way that draws them to Jesus, not drives them away. So hold up the shield of faith, wear salvation as a helmet. Number three, take the sword of God's word. Take the sword of God's word. 
I mentioned this two weeks ago. The Bible is the only offensive weapon listed among the armor of God. Is it any wonder then that one of the things most Christians struggle with is daily reading God's word and allowing God's word to read them and allowing the word to empower them to enter battle fully armed up? Like the devil's not stupid. He's not stupid. Paul says a few verses earlier, we read it two weeks ago, that the devil and his demons strategize against us. So do you think part of the strategy of the devil might be keeping us from the word of God? Like he knows how powerful it is. So he keeps us away from it. I mean, look at, here's two verses that talk about the power of God's word. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Then 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So do you think the devil wants that happening? No. So what's he do? He keeps us from the word of God. And some people say, well, I, I, I struggle reading it because I don't understand it, to which I would say one of the reasons you don't understand it is because you're not reading it. <laughs> it takes time to begin to dissect the word of God and understand how it relates to my life. For a lot of you, you don't understand it because you're not willing to go to a small group where other believers could actually speak into your life who have maybe some more spiritual maturity than you and help you understand what the word is saying. There's no excuse for us to not be in the word of God as Christians. And one of the most powerful depictions of this in scripture is from our Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 4. I'd encourage you to read it on your own sometimes. A perfect picture of how the word of God defeats and silences the enemy. Jesus had just went into the wilderness where he would fast and pray for 40 days. At the end of his 40 days, when he was most physically weak, Satan pounces and begins to tempt Jesus three different times. He tempts Jesus to sin. Two of the three times, the devil uses scripture itself to try and, and get the author of Scripture to sin. <laughs> that, should, that should not be lost on us, by the way, that the devil knows Scripture too. And he'll twist it and use it, strategize it against us to get us to sin. So if the devil knows it and will use it in temptation, we better get to know the Word of God a little bit. So in Matthew 4, Satan tempts Jesus the first time. Verse 4 says this, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, and then quoted scripture from the Old Testament to defeat Satan. Second time, Satan tempts Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, and then he spoke scripture to Satan. Third time, verse 10, Satan tempts him, and this time, Jesus kind of bows up. And Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. Which, by the way, as a follower of Jesus, you have authority to say that as well. And then follow it with scripture. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say. 
And he quoted scripture again, and Satan left him until he tempted him at another time. Jesus did not fight the enemy with anything other than the word of God. And friends, I think we do ourselves some good to learn from our Lord and how we should be fighting the spiritual battles in our life. Albert Barnes put it this way. A single text of scripture is better to meet a temptation than all the philosophy which the world contains. The tempter can reason, but he cannot resist a direct and positive command of the Almighty. Come on. As a start, you might memorize Matthew 4, verse 10. It's super easy to memorize. This could be used in any moment of temptation. Any moment where you are tempted to sin, to worry, to fear, to doubt, to put your focus on anything other than Jesus Christ himself, Matthew 4, verse 10 is what Jesus used. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That Satan in this moment, I feel weak, but I am strong in the Lord. So get out out. For the scriptures say we will not worship anybody or anything except the Lord our God. Say it again and again and again if you have to. There is power, friends, in the word of God. By the way, Matthew 4 verse 10, Jesus is directly quoting from Deuteronomy 6 13. Jesus, he's just quoting scripture at Satan to defeat him. So hold up the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation to guard your mind and give you confidence and display to the watching world what it looks like to believe in and follow Jesus, that you don't belong to this world. You belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and defeats the enemy. And then lastly, number four is this. Seek God in prayer through it all. Seek God in prayer through it all. Paul said, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. And while God does not give prayer a piece of armor as an equivalent, like he does the other ones, I do believe that prayer is the forgotten piece of the armor of God. It's the forgotten piece. Yet I believe it's the glue that holds it all together. It enables us to use it properly. And so often we we do pray, but I think we find ourselves telling God what we want, then shutting the phone off. And he's often saying, but I want to say something to you. Prayer is not one-way conversation, it's two-way conversation. Where I speak to God and he speaks to me and we commune together. Last time I'll use Albert Barnes said this. No matter how complete the armor, no matter how skilled we may be in the science of war, no matter how courageous we may be, we may be certain that without prayer, we shall be defeated. God alone can give the victory. And when the Christian soldier goes forth armed completely for the spiritual conflict, if he looks to God by prayer, he may be sure of a triumph. The triumph might end up being like the tail end of Hebrews 11 where people are sawed in two and imprisoned and killed and beheaded, but they didn't turn their back on God because they prayed. 
I was thinking about this, that, that really our enemy, Satan, can take just about anything from us. He can stop us from doing just about anything. Like, really? He, he, could, he could rouse up the world to take away all of our freedoms. He can do that. He can put us in prison. He can separate us, even in prison, to be away from anyone that we know or love or can communicate with. He can injure us, harm us. He could, he could gouge out our eyes, which has happened to Christians, cut their tongues out to keep us from talking. He can, he can take limbs. He can take our own life. But there's two things that Satan cannot stop us from doing. He cannot stop you from praising, and he cannot stop you from praying. Neither one. In fact, even if he were to kill you and you went to be with Jesus in eternity, guess what still happens in eternity? Praise and prayer. I believe there's no time stamp on our prayers that our prayers ascend to God for eternity. So the devil can't stop you from praising and can't stop you from praying. So we may as well, guess what? Start now. We may as well start now. Every major move of God on behalf of his people started with prayer. Every one. Go all the way back to Exodus. The people of God were enslaved in Egypt. God shows up to Moses in a burning bush and said, I have heard the cries of my people and it's time to act. Later on in the Old Testament, there's many examples. One is King Hezekiah. The Assyrian army was coming against the nation of Israel. They were terrified. Hezekiah puts his face literally on the ground and pleads with God to save the nation of Israel. And God, through Isaiah, sends a message to Hezekiah and says to Hezekiah, because you prayed, this will not happen. I will stand against the enemy. Even the coming of the Messiah like we read in the Gospels how there were faithful people, prophets and prophetesses who were boldly praying for the coming of the Son of God. And when he arrived, they, they, they glorified, praise God, for the arrival of the Messiah, the very first church in Acts chapter 2. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, what were they doing? They were praying. Two chapters later, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested and beaten for their faith in Jesus. They were told by the leaders, you better shut up about Jesus or we will shut you up. They went back to the early believers. They said, hey, these, these leaders are telling us that we can no longer talk about Jesus. So the believers prayed in Acts chapter 4. They did not pray for protection. They did not pray for new leaders. They prayed for boldness. And it says that in their prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They left that place and went out and preached with great boldness. And what happened, the church exploded in the book of Acts under the greatest of opposition. Why? Because they prayed. Every major move of God started with prayer. And again, it's no surprise then that one of the most neglected ministries in God's church is prayer. It has been since I can remember. And so we do our best to try to at least keep it a priority. 
on the first Tuesday of every month. We meet together right in this room from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. for worship and prayer. We call it First Tuesday Worship and Prayer. And, and guess when First Tuesday is this month? This Tuesday. Super hard to figure out. First Tuesday happens on the first Tuesday of every month. And so we're going to meet right here, worship and prayer. And nobody has to pray out loud. In fact, if you, if you struggle to know how to pray, come to First Tuesday. There are some people that do pray out loud, and you'll hear different ways to pray. And let me just say this. Some, some people feel so much pressure when they pray. When you pray out loud, it is not for anyone who's listening. When you pray, it's for your father. And he does not hear the words in your mouth. He hears the attitude and cry of your heart. So you might blunder and blubber through some prayer, and I think the Father delights in that. And anybody who judges you for the way you pray is not representative of the God they say they serve. So pray. Join us at First Tuesday as we rally together to pray for our church, our community, and God's kingdom around the world. I know it doesn't always work with people's schedules, and we got stuff, I get that. You're, you're not a bad Christian if you don't come to prayer meeting at church. I'm just saying, it is by far the least attended thing we've ever done at our church, but perhaps the most important. We have about 40 or 50 people that show up, and we've every single month has been amazing. I love it every single time. And you might want to try it out. If you can't, no worries. I'm not going to think anything different of you. We've been doing it for over a year now, and I've not thought anything different of you yet. I'm just saying, every major move of God started with prayer. And if we're wanting God to move, especially in the season we find ourselves in in our church, it has to start with prayer. It has to start with prayer. And so I just challenge you to be a part of First Tuesday. We're going to end with communion today. Um, if, you're, if you're not a member of our church, you don't have to be. We do ask, though, that in the act of communion, that you are sincerely seeking after Jesus. Jesus, on the Last Supper, said to his disciples, every time you eat the bread, remember my body given for you. Every time you drink the cup, remember my blood poured out for you. Now, I'll just be honest. I don't think communion was ever meant to be just a moment in church. I think every time the Christians broke bread together for a meal, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. It's meant to be every meal. That the food I eat represents the body of Jesus. The drink I'm drinking represents the blood of Jesus. Like how many times do we eat in a day? Every time to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus. That's really what it's supposed to be, but we make it a part of our service as well. There's some communion elements up here on the left and right of the stage. As soon as we're done, if you just pause a few moments, anybody who doesn't want to take it, you can leave. And, and you don't, please understand, we will not think anything of it. You will not be judged for not taking communion. We want you to take it when you're ready only. And if anyone, anyone ever says they are from our church and they belittle you or judge you for not taking communion, they do not represent our church. We want you to take it when you're ready. And if that's not today, then it's not today. So wait a few moments and then send one person up for your whole party. If there's four of you, send one person up, get four communion elements. You tear the top part off, there's the bread. The bottom part, there's the juice. And we'll do that here after I pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thanks for challenging us, Lord, to put all the armor on, including the armor of prayer. 
And Lord, this, this is not easy what we're talking about. There's, there's a reason why we so often struggle with this. Lord, it's, it's hard work to put on the armor, to stay connected, to go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do. But Lord, there's no better thing to do than that. So help us put on the armor, stand firm in our faith as we battle the enemy in this life. We thank you that the victory's already won, but there are battles that still remain, and so we give ourselves to you. We thank you for your body, Jesus, your blood given for us. May this be a reminder that you are coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for something, stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium, and we'll pray for you there. Next week, we're gonna actually talk about How do we be bold in our speech for Jesus? How do we be bold? That's the next thing Paul talks about in the armor of God. So we'll do that next week. I love you guys so much. Thanks for putting up with me today. I hope this was helpful for you. Uh, Communion is open. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.